We're glad that you've joined us, and we hope that you're doing well. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. In Matthew 16, in verse 16, Simon Peter confesses to Jesus that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And on account of this confession, in verse 18, Peter, uh, Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, in Greek, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This word ecclesia here, that we translate as church, means an assembly, an assemblage, a group of people with a shared identity. This idea of ecclesia also comes from the Greek Old Testament, where we use at times to refer to the assemblage of the people of Israel, when all the people of Israel come together. Like in 1 Kings 8 and verse 14. In Romans 12, 3-8, and 1 Corinthians 12, 12-27, Ephesians 4, 4-6, 5, 23-32, and Hebrews 12, 1 and 22-24, we see discussions of the nature of the church in various ways. We see especially in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and the idea of the church as a body. Uh, we also see the church is described as the people of God. And there's this important kind of vague thing going on with it. Because emphasis is often placed on the singularity and unity of the church. Christ has but one body. Just like a, a man has one wife. And uh, we don't see too uh, many people with one head and two bodies. That's the way it is with Christ. He has one body. In Ephesians 4, there is one body. It, it's different parts are supposed to function together. Meanwhile, Paul writes to the church in Rome, to the church in Corinth, and the church in Ephesus. And these are considered churches in the plural. And so because of this and all of these passages throughout the New Testament that talk about the church, we will frequently make a distinction between the church universal and the local church. The universal church, or the church universal, is the one body of Christ that's spoken of specifically whenever emphasis is placed on the singularity, uniqueness on the collective people of God. So anytime that one of the apostles wants to emphasize the unity of the people of God, he will normally speak about the universal church. A local church, though, is a collective of Christians in a given specific place and time who frequently assemble with one another. And they're spoken of specifically whenever emphasis is placed on a singular group of Christians meeting in one place and the challenges going on with them, or just trying to encourage them, like in Rome, uh, or perhaps multiple groups like that in a, in a given area, like the churches of Galatia. While this distinction may be made in many places, in order so we can make sense of what Scripture is trying to tell us, uh, it's important for us to remember that when we talk about local church or the universal church, that the apostles never made that distinction hard and fast. They will speak of the ecclesia in both senses without qualification. And partly this is because the ideal is that a given local church is a reflection of the members of the church universal in that particular time and place. Now, it may be that some of the members of a local church aren't really part of the body of Christ because they are actually in sin or separated from God in such a way that the other Christians are not aware of it. Or perhaps there are some of the members of the universal church that are meeting with other Christians in uh, the same general area or something else of that nature. Um, now, there's a lot of important things to talk about in terms of the individual Christian and the responsibility to the local church. And uh, perhaps Lord willing will have opportunity to talk about that at another time. But a, an area that isn't as often discussed and, and emphasized is the relationship between the individual Christian and the church universal. 
And this is something that has become even more important in our hyper-connected world, where we have internet connections, with social media connections with people throughout the country and around the world in ways uh, that just weren't feasible before. So what is the relationship between the individual church, Christian and the universal church? What is the constitution nature of that church universal? What relationship exists among the members of the church universal? What are the responsibilities of individual Christian to the church universal? And how do we manage our responsibilities as an individual Christian to both the church universal and to the local church? Now, we learn about the nature of the universal church in passages like Matthew 6 and 18, 1 Corinthians 3, 14 through 16, Ephesians 2, 20 through 22, 4, 4 through 6, Hebrews 12, 1, 20 to 24, 1 Peter 2, 3 through 9, and many others. To break this down a little bit, as we talked about in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 5 earlier, that the church is the body of Christ. And Paul frequently talk about the people of God in terms of a body, which involves different parts individually and together. But when he does so, he's only speaking of one singular body. There's only one of them. And in that sense, all individual Christians are part of that one body and have their function within it. And along with 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, uh, where Paul, Peter will talk about how each who has been given a gift, which is everyone, is to use it to serve one another according to God's varied grace. And so it provides an appreciation of each individual person and the role that they play in Christ's church. And this is important to keep in mind on a universal level, that even though in a local body you have different people with different functions, the same in the universal church, where you have different preachers who have different emphases and different skill sets, and you have different servants doing other different things. Uh, they may seem similar, they may be doing a similar function in, in given local churches, but they have distinct emphases, and, and others can grow from learning from them, uh, even in a universal sense. Now, in this idea of a body... Uh, Jesus is always considered the head in Ephesians 5 uh, and in other places. So the idea is that Jesus is the one controlling it and dictating what the body uh, should do. Likewise, we have in 1 Corinthians 3, Ephesians 2, and 1 Peter 2, the church is a temple of God. A temple, of course, is where a God maintains his presence. And so therefore, uh, the presence of God in the temple of, of his people uh, collectively, is the Holy the Holy Spirit is the presence of God in, in, in that group. Jesus is reckoned in Ephesians 2 as the cornerstone of the foundation of the church. And the apostles and prophets and the revelation that they provide and what has been bound and loosed in heaven uh, is the foundation in Ephesians 2 and, and the authority given to them in Matthew 18, 18. And when you look at it that way, so the apostles, prophets are the foundation, Jesus is the cornerstone, and all the individual Christians are as individual living stones built up and in which houses the Spirit. And so the idea of this is very powerful, because as God is holy, his place must be holy, and therefore his people as the church and as individuals are to be holy, in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. The church is also reckoned as the kingdom of God in Christ in Matthew 4, 17, 23, in chapter 13, the parables there, Philippians 3, 20-21, and Colossians 1, 13. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus did speak of the coming of his kingdom, and Paul spoke of Christians as being part of that kingdom, being transferred into it by God. And therefore, Christians are those who participate in God's rule in Christ, and who serve Jesus as Lord, according to Romans 6, 14-23, other passages. Likewise, and perhaps in a bit more controversial sense, in Romans 2, 25-29, Galatians 6, 16, Philippians 3, 3, and Hebrews 11, 39-12, and 22-24, uh, Paul and the Hebrew author will speak of the church as the Israel of God. 
And Paul, in fact, spent a lot of time in Romans establishing the continuity between Israel as a people of God and Christians as a new Israel. So the point where, in 1 Corinthians 10, when talking to the Corinthians, he can speak of the heritage of the Israelites, the Exodus, as our heritage, even though he's speaking to a predominantly Gentile audience. God fulfills the promise given to Abraham, and he fulfills the law of Moses in Christ, that everyone who shares in Abraham's faith in God can be the people of God, regardless of their genealogy. And the Hebrew author envisions the patriarchs and the people in Israel history as the heritage of God's people, and that it's now Christians who are approaching uh, the heavenly Mount Zion through Christ. Therefore, Christians are the people of God, and their spiritual heritage is seen throughout the Old Testament. And that heritage in Hebrews 12.1 is that great cloud of witnesses is very much still alive. So there's a lot of passages that we've mentioned here. We haven't really had time to read them all and to go on them in depth. And I encourage you to consider them and, and to look at them in more detail. But from them we can see that the church universal is the collective of the people of God. All of those who are part of the kingdom of God in Christ. And in a very real sense, all of the Christians from Pentecost until the final day. And in its ultimate fullest sense, all of those who are the saved people of God from Adam until the last soul on the last day. That the church universal is headed by Christ, it's filled by the Spirit, it's founded on the apostles and the prophets, and it's constituted by individual Christians. It's very important to see in the New Testament that between the universal church and the local church, we don't have any other levels of organization or authority. Uh, And we need to respect that in how we approach, how we conduct the affairs of the church. And the members of the universal church are to look at Christ as their head and serve him, to conform to his image and to reflect righteousness and holiness in all that they do. So, individual Christians make up this church universal. They are added by God upon profession of faith in belief, confession, repentance, and baptism, as we see in Acts 2.47, uh, 2.42, Romans 10, and verse 9. And that its members are only truly known to God, and will only be fully manifest on the day of judgment. Romans 2, 5 through 11, 14, 10 through 12. But we are to have association with those in whom we have confidence that they are in Christ, that they share in the hope of the resurrection to eternal life. And that's precisely why in 1 John 1 and verse 7, the apostle writes, If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. So we see their emphasis that the fellowship is, is based on that shared walk in God, in Christ. Now, right now, the church universal, as a collective, is really functioning mostly in the abstract. It does exist, but God is still adding to it. And when we look at the work of assembling and the functioning of a church, how a church actually works, is envisioned primarily in the context of a local church. Now, as we can see in Revelation 21-22, on the final day the church universal will assemble in the glory of the resurrection, and they will stand in the presence of Christ uh, and God to do their will. And it will be a beautiful, wonderful day, but that's the time when the church universal will finally be assembled. Uh, So now it's kind of more of an abstract entity. But even though it's only an abstract entity, that doesn't mean that it's completely unimportant. In fact, God expects relationships to exist among members of the church universal. In Acts 11, 28-30, Paul and Barnabas take a collection to the needs of the Christians in Judea when they are told of a famine that's coming in Antioch. 
Uh, in 1 Corinthians 16.1, uh, the Corinthians are urged to make a collection as uh, Paul has urged the churches of Galatia. In Philippians 4.15, we hear how the Philippians help Paul, even though Paul was in other places. Uh, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16, the letter uh, the read, written to the Colossians is also be read to the Laodiceans. And so we see in these passages, if nothing else, the reality that Christians knew about other Christians in other places. Now, these individual local churches were not subject to any other local church, but they would encourage one another and provide benevolence when necessary. In 1 Thessalonians 1 7, Paul commends the Thessalonians that their faith is known to all in Macedonia and Achaia, that Christians knew of other Christians in other places, and their stand for the faith. And we can see from Paul in Philippians that the churches and Christians would provide assistance to those preaching the gospel in other places. And therefore, we see that Christians do have relationships with other Christians outside of the local congregation that the local churches are aware of the functioning of other local churches, even if they are autonomous toward one another. And so it is true that Christians do have responsibilities to other Christians in the church universal. And it's in that light that we do all to consider all of the one another passages in the New Testament. And there's, there are so many verses for these, we'll only mention a few. To love one another. In John 13, 34, 15, 12, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3, uh, 1 John 3, 11, 4, 7, 11, and 12, among many others. To serve one another in John 13, 14, and 1 Peter 5, 5. In Romans 12, 10, in honor to prefer one another. To edify or build up one another in Romans 14, 19, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. To receive one another in Romans 15, 7, to teach and admonish one another, Colossians 3.16. Salute one another, Romans 16.16, 1 Corinthians 16.20, and many others. To bear one another's burdens, in Galatians 6.2. To forbear, to forgive one another, in Ephesians 4.2, Colossians 3.13. To comfort one another, in 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Exhort one another, in Hebrews 3.13.10.25. Consider how to provoke one another to love and good works, in Hebrews 10.24. Also, we should pray for one another, 1 Timothy, Thessalonians 5.17-18, 1 Timothy 2.1-4. And that we are to do good to one another, to provide assistance in times in need, especially to the household of faith, in Galatians 6 and verse 10. Now, when we hear that passage, we think of one another, we immediately start thinking of the local church. And that's very good. But we need to be aware that in the New Testament, one another relationships are not explicitly delineated between local church and church universal. You look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12-27, where Paul is talking about the way that the body functions, the body of Christ. And it's very easy to look at all that and say uh, that it, it, it should be to the local church. And yet, nevertheless, the conclusions of that message is that God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administering in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? Everything else you could say, well, that's just about the local church, but all of a sudden, the apostles were not part of just one local church, and their function was not just for one local church, it's for the church universal. So, He's actually talking about the universal church. There's only one body. However, functionally, this is going to be done primarily in terms of the local church. But these one another passages are never limited to those whom you are in the presence of. Now, we do well to think of our responsibilities and relationships in terms of priority and proximity. 
A Christian should first look to the local church to fulfill their responsibility to their fellow Christians, to love and serve, forgive, exhort, comfort others, etc. Uh, and the reason that takes priority is because that's the group with whom we've identified. They're the closest with you, and the ones you will functionally work together with much more often and in very concrete, evident ways. They're the ones you're actually getting together with on a Sunday morning. They're the ones that you're actually going to be seeing in the community. They're the ones that if you're going to do evangelism together or if you're going to serve in together, those are the people you're going to be doing it with first. It's a, going to be a very strange thing indeed if you uh, are trying to work on one another relationships with people around the country, but not with the people with whom you assemble on a Sunday morning. And from there, we ought to consider those who are not fellow members of the local church, but who are fellow members of the church universal in terms of proximity, which could be spatial in terms of distance, members of churches in nearby communities, uh, to, to meet them when they're having a special event or meetings, if they are engaging in some kind of event or some kind of event where they could use some assistance to assist them in doing so. Uh, or also in relationship, because a lot of times we may have family members or friends or people we've known uh, deeply from being part of a local church with them, but either they moved away or you had to move away. And all of those relationships that you've built, that they should certainly take a priority uh, because of the depth of the relationship that you've built with those people. But as we have opportunity, we should consider how to accomplish our responsibilities to one another as fellow members of the Church Universal. And this has been especially helped with the Internet and social media, that we're able to maintain strong communication with Christians around the country and the world. Now, again, this association must never take the place of the local church. We must also not prioritize our digital association over the face-to-face association within the local church and with the members of the local church. But the opportunity to encourage and edify, as well as to be encouraged and edified by brethren around the country and the world is great, and something that we should certainly give thought to. And we need also remember that as we seek to accomplish our responsibilities to one another, as others do the same, we will be loved and served and encouraged and edified and forgiven and so forth as we serve and love and encourage and edify in turn. So this is the situation between individual Christians and the Church Universal. That the Church Universal is headed by Christ, it's built on the apostles and prophets, and it's comprised of individual Christians from Pentecost until the final day. That its members are to strive to love, serve, encourage, and edify one another as they have knowledge and opportunity. And therefore we do well to serve the Lord Jesus to the honor and glory of God as individual Christians and toward one another as the members of the Church Universal until that great and glorious day in the resurrection where we all surround uh, the throne of God and the Lamb as the Universal Church assembled and praise Him and serve Him in glory forevermore. We're again glad that you've joined us t- for this uh, discussion. We, we pray that you've been blessed by it. If you'd like to take hold of that wonderful hope and promise of the day of resurrection and sharing with the people of God, or, or maybe you have some questions about some of the things we discussed here, maybe you are going through some difficulties, you have prayer requests, there's any way that I can be of assistance to you, please let me know. Please contact me through my website at theverbalvitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. And if you live in Los Angeles, or travel in the Los Angeles area, you'd like to learn more about the Venice Church of Christ. Any way that we can be of service to you, please uh, check us out online. We're at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on social media at Facebook, Google+, Instagram, Meetup, Twitter, YouTube, at, at Venice Church or Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you. Have a great day.